0: And it was, there was a lot of good, but there were also a lot of really nasty comments about me, about black people, about Marion Williamson, about just that I didn't think people could be so mean.
1: This episode is sponsored by Headquarters, where Laurel Media offices and produces this podcast. In our humble opinion, Headquarters is the best co-working office space in Houston. It's creative, affordable, and just plain fun to work here. Headquarters, located just east of downtown Houston. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Our Voices Matter. So excited today to have with us Joy Sewing, the fashion and beauty editor of the Houston Chronicle. Let's see. You're also an author. You're a speaker. Um, you're a radio host. Uh, you're a foster mom and the mom of two adorable pups. Yes. <laughs> And I say that like the biggest pups ever, right? Yes. So joy, it's just it's a joy to speak with you. Thank you so
0: much for having me. You
1: have such an incredibly um, uh, eclectic background. Um, (laughs) We were just talking about the fact that you used
0: to be a figure skater. Uh, Yes, yes, in Houston, in Houston of all places, right?
1: Uh Um, But what drew you to journalism?
0: Wow, I've wanted to be a journalist since I was about four years old. Really? really? Yes. Since four. Since how did you know
1: at four what a journalist so even was?
0: my parents would get the Houston Post, and they had a mini page, like a little for children. Mm-hmm. And I loved pulling it out and imagining that I wrote whatever was on the page. I couldn't really write at the time. but And I learned to just love the written word. I learned to love stories. I learned to just um, love the whole whole process. So, yeah, I've always wanted to be a journalist. There was enough, I didn't have a plan B. Okay, so okay. it's a good thing it worked out they for you. Did. It, it worked out it for is. you. Okay, it is.
1: so you've been with The Chronicle 17 years or so? Yeah, give or yeah. take. Give yes. or take, uh-huh. okay. And what roles have you had there before the one you have now?
0: So I started as a copy editor, okay. um, and, and then I transitioned. I left for a while, mm-hmm. moved to Mexico, did a whole roundabout, and then came back as a fashion editor. So yeah, What
1: do you love most about your job?
0: No day is the same. That's what I love. I love that it's always different. Um, I can never predict. I also love being around journalists. I think journalists are some of the most interesting people because we all have come from different backgrounds, from different places of the world, have traveled, read. um, I think journalists are really fascinating people. It's interesting um, that you answered the question
1: the same way that I answer the question. When people ask me Uh what I love about being a journalist, Uh and that was the first thing for me. No two days were the same. Every day it was completely different. You got a chance to meet and interview, incredible sure. people, and share their stories, yes. and um, that's one of the things I love about it as well. So I'm curious about um, what your
0: thoughts are about the state of journalism today and where we are given the times <sighs> that we're living in. It's it you know it's it's a little bit scary because we are transitioning. We are um, people aren't reading the printed word as much, um, and we know that. and And so traditional media like the Houston Chronicle and I'm sure TV are trying to find their 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 place. In there's space in this world of digital journalism um, where anybody can get news from all, all different sources now, whether they are legit or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's really a struggle, but it's also an opportunity to grow as a journalist. I mean, I'm doing digital things that I, I never did before. I'm doing, you know, I had a radio show. Things that I never thought I would be doing, I'm doing now because we have really gone in different directions. Yeah, okay. yeah. And
1: and I think, too, the importance of journalism uh, as a profession. Sure. And it's interesting you say, you know, whether it's legit or not, <laughs> uh-huh. which means that the um, citizens have to be yeah. a lot more savvy and sure. a lot more educated about the news that they're consuming sure. and where it comes from. Sure. Do you
0: agree with that? I, I totally agree. I also think that this is an opportunity for journalists true journalists, to really um, s- state what they're doing, how they're doing it. Because I think in this world where any people can get all different kinds of uh, information from different sources, that there's not a lot of respect almost for for, for real journalists. Right. Um, and so we're having to prove ourselves a little bit more than I think we did maybe 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to come back to that in just a minute. Sure. But first, I want
1: to talk about some of the fun stuff. Okay. Okay. Uh, so... Um, Tell me who some of the people are that you've interviewed, and if you had to pick two or three favorites, what would they be?
0: Oscar De La Renta, Iman, Iman, mm. um, and oh gosh, another one, another Oscar De La Um, Those are my two top. Your two top. Mm-hmm. Why? So Oscar De La Renta was is a, was a completely enchanting man. I don't know if you know much about his his history, but he was. He was beautiful, impeccably dressed always. Um, and whenever I talk to a designer, I never really talk about the fashions. I always want to know their story because sure. I think that makes for a better fashion story. Mm-hmm. And so we sat one time in a hallway and he talk, talked about his love for his son. And he is from the uh, uh, Oscar de la Renta was from the Dominican Republic and he adopted his son from an the orphanage there. And he said that his son was the darkest and the sickliest child that nobody wanted. And that, and he adopted that child. Oh, and wow. Oscar de la Wyncha talked about his love for his son. And by that time, his son was probably 25 or so. I but had it, no idea. Yeah. And I always remember that story. And it just, it it's it so endearing to me. Well, yes. Well, it says a lot about who he is yes. as a human being. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Right. And Iman. Iman, I thought was going to be, well, she seems like this, like, diva, like, real, um, just that you can't approach her, but she was so funny. Mm. And she talked about, Meeting David Bowie for the mm-hmm. first time. It was a set, up. Uh, her hairstylist set them up. Okay. And she thought he was funny looking and just was not interested. <laughs> and it's, it, she just, you know, it just talked about their, the, their love story. So I thought that was just, it wasn't pretty amazing. That's great. Yeah.
1: Well, I know you recently went on the Oprah crew. I did. So I did. what was that like?
0: You know, it's, ima- I don't know how to capture how to put it in words, but I will say it was the one time in my life. Where you had all these women together, and no one was talking about how fat they were. They weren't talking about how old they looked. They weren't talking about any self-loathing things that we do as women. Mm-hmm. Everybody was there because of Oprah, and was feeling that kind of oh magic. They yeah. were all happy, you know, and <laughs> it was just, oh magic, the yeah. oh magic, and it was it, it was it was pretty amazing. You know? Oh wow! Yeah, do you have any any stories from that cruise that uh, that come to mind? I uh, so I spent some time with Gail. Um, and um, and I had interviewed her before, but never this amount of time. I think we talked about maybe 45 minutes. Really? Yeah. And she was she was hilarious. She's everything you think she's going to be. Um, and she she told me how Oprah was very shy, was more of a introvert, not really shy, but more of an mm-hmm. introvert mm-hmm. and how she was the extrovert in their friendship. Yeah. And I just, uh, yeah. I just, I thought that was pretty amazing. I met
1: Gail uh, once several years ago mm-hmm. um, in New York, mm-hmm. um, actually at the Gracie Awards okay. ceremony. And um, I fortunately had won an award that year. Uh-huh. And Gail um, was there mm-hmm. and we had on the same dress. <gasps> we had on, we had on, There is a little fashion thing, uh-huh. right? We had on the same dress Okay. and she was just so gracious and hilarious. Yes. We kind of looked at each other yes. and went. We had excellent taste, <laughs> uh-huh. and then she took a photo with me. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, this is one of my, one of my favorite yeah. memories of, of her. Yeah. So um, I want to talk a little bit now about um, your year of joy. Yes. You're wearing the T-shirt. Yes. Tell us what year of joy is and how it came about.
0: So I started, I read Shonda Rhimes' book, Year of Yes. And she is um, the woman behind Grey's Anatomy and all mm-hmm. those wonderful shows, How to Get Away with Murder, mm-hmm. um, Scandal. And um, I have a friend recommended that I read it. And I was taken aback by, here, here was a woman who looked like me, an African-American woman, who is at the top of her game but had her own internal issues that she was dealing with and trying to find balance with adopting children and her job and not one knowing that she didn't want to get married and things, societal pressures. And I read that book. And then when I turned the last last page, I said, no, I'm going to have a year of joy because I felt like I had gotten so far away from feeling joyful about just life in general Dealing with deadlines at work, pressures, all that, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I'm going to do the things that I remember that gave me joy. And one was um, traveling; I had gotten away from traveling. Two was I love to dance, and so I signed up for a tap dance class. And then um, I just little things like that, mm-hmm. and, it, and it turned into an opportunity for me to give back. And I was, a, as you said, I was a skater. And my first year of joy event with children was a skating party, um, holiday skating party at Discovery Green, and it awesome. came about in 24 hours. And we had 45, 50 kids that year. And this this year, um, in last December, we celebrated three years, and we had 150 kids the last time. That's so, incredible. So and so you've now turned it into a 501c3 yes. nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And so, what's your mission? My mission is to um, bring joy to children from underserved communities who who don't have the opportunity to maybe go skating or maybe go to see a play or, or have some type of experience that I had growing up um, and that a lot of children do have, but a lot of children don't. And so, because I still ha- I still have my day job, I do about four events a year and um, really smaller events, and and then the big one is the skating party. And it's been a wonderful opportunity to to celebrate girls and celebrate boys and um, just celebrate joy, yeah.
1: Do you have any um, any stories that come to mind of, of the um, impact that your skating party has had on the children? Did anybody walk up to you and say
0: what I, that meant to them? Well, so there was a little, I think he might've been five, a little boy, yeah. uh-huh. And he was wobbling in his skates, and he, you know, had his saggy pants because they were wet from skating, mm-hmm. and he hit me on my knee, and I looked down. he's like, "Lady, that's the best day of my life." And I was <laughs> like, huh? oh, you're four, okay, okay well, four. Uh-huh. But you know, <laughs> just things like that, and yeah. just to see children having fun, yeah. and it's not tied to taking a test, it's not tied to anything other than just pure fun and the fact that they're learning a skill that they never thought they could learn like skating Mm -hmm. and and the lesson is is that when you fall down you get back up and you keep trying and that's what these kids were doing and that's was that's been pretty amazing to watch
1: so you shared with me that um, you are foster mom. Now. I
0: am a foster mom, foster yes. to adopt. Yes, foster
1: to adopt. Uh-huh. And tell us about
0: Nova. Ah, uh, she's a beautiful child, and I, um, I've, I've been this process has been a long time coming for me. It's something I started ten years ago, and there's just, a, just it ended up. Taking this long for me, mm-hmm. um, but yes, I do have a, a foster child, and she's wonderful and um, challenging and strong-willed. And my mother says karma is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. so, I think all moms she, say that. So, <laughs> so yes. Yeah. So that she's three and a half. She's three and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's been and it's been a it's been fantastic because I I didn't. I had in my mind how this was going to happen. I was going to get married and have a kid. You know what? When you, Your life happens when you're not expecting it. Right. And so then that's, right. that's where I am. Right. And mm-hmm. this is where you
1: are. That's where I am. And so are you enjoying being a mom?
0: I am. I am. Yes. I really am. You know, I'm learning. Like l- I had to Google when, when I first got news of a placement. I had to Google what do three-year-olds eat. No, really. I did not know. I just, you know, was just right. like, like, okay. um, and yeah. just and things like that. Yeah. Thank um, goodness for Google. Yes, right. yes. And learning from friends, like things that I needed to do that I didn't even think about. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but, you know, it's good. I have a have a village of friends and family and it's been great. And and your your two puppies that I mentioned before. Yes. so Ava and, and Prince
1: and Prince. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've written a book. I did.
0: Yes, I wrote a children's book about my res- rescue boxers. Everybody in my house has like been like a rescue. rescue. Right?
1: <laughs> well, uh, well, it just shows where your heart is. You know, yes. you have a big, beautiful
0: heart. Um, thank you. And, and so, yeah, so my, my. Boxers, I wrote a children's book last fall, Mm -hmm. um, and it debuted in October, and I've been going into schools talking about them, talking about the beauty of having a pet, um, being a responsible pet owner to children, how to pet a pet correctly, Mm -hmm. Um, and Nova knows how now, you pet, Mm -hmm. pet, stop, and you wait, (laughs) you pet, pet, stop, and you do gentle, Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's been fun, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um,
1: I want to get a little bit more serious now and and ask you to to share some of uh, your experiences personally and also as a journalist Mm -hmm. that have um, maybe given you some challenges and also made you sit up and pause and kind of think about things differently. Um, I remember reading um, one of your articles maybe a year or so ago Mm -hmm. um, that followed a... um, um, a trip to a, a local church, mm-hmm. and uh, the author Marianne Williamson mm-hmm. was speaking. I'm going to ask you to to share what happened that sure. day and why you ultimately wrote about it.
0: Sure, it was in January of 2018. 18, um, and Marianne Williamson was speaking at Unity Church, and I love listening to her. I've read many of her books, and I wasn't, I did not know the topic of her talk at that point, but it was some a, a special night because it was my birthday, and she um, happened to end up talking about um, the race divide in in this country and how you know we, we seem to getting be getting away from moving together and, and, and being more devi- divisive and she asked the members in the church who are white to to, um, no, she, I'm sorry, she asked the black members to stand up. And there were maybe a handful. And I remember thinking, oh, gosh, where is this going? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, God. Yeah, you know, really? Like, oh, yeah. It's my yeah. birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and so I stood up. And then she asked the white people who were in the audience who were near the, a standing black person to hold their hand or hold onto some, the piece of clothing or, or to touch them in some way. And I'm really thinking, oh my gosh, what are we doing now? And so she asked them, she asked us to close our eyes, and she um, narrated them through a, an apology to African Americans for slavery, uh, um, mass incarceration of black men, um, rape of black women. I mean, just all all the, all the, the things that have happened to African Americans in this country, she had um, the white people in the audience apologize for and as i'm listening to it i'm just i'm i'm trying to hear her words but something deep inside of me started to just it was like an internal cry and i broke down in tears and i mean a little literally i had a friend standing next to me uh, sitting next to me and she held me up because i was collapsing um and i i i just remember thinking about my grandmother and thinking about my uncles and who are long gone and thinking about what would they think if they heard this? You know, how would they feel? And it was a, it was very powerful. And I hadn't intended on writing about it, but I was so moved by it. I had never experienced anything like it. I wrote about it. And it wrote about just the, the feeling that I had of almost relief. I didn't need an apology. I didn't, I was not going in, I never ever thought I needed an apology for the way my ancestors were treated. I never thought about that. But how it made me feel was pretty incredible.
1: So you went on to write about I it. I wrote about it. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that article sure. vividly. Yeah. And um, you got some interesting reaction. So share that. I,
0: I It was probably I got the most reaction from anything I've ever written in my career. And it was there was a lot of good, but there were also a lot of really nasty comments about me, about black people, about Marion Williamson, about just that I didn't think people could be so mean and so um um just just hurtful with their words. And I remember reaching out to Marion and we ended up talking by phone. We've become friends through really? this process, yes. Really? And so I ended up um talking to her by phone and she says Joy don't worry about that. You 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 wrote from the heart and that's what matters. And whenever you are, whenever you are on the path on your journey, there will always be things that will pull you, try to pull you away. She said, don't be discouraged.
1: When you received the, the negative um, feedback, mm-hmm. um, what what did you do? Did you respond to it? Did no,
0: you I've learned never to respond. I've learned never to respond to emails like that. Never. Um, but I did forward them all to my bosses because they needed to know that that racism is still very much alive in this country. That there is, very, we have readers who are who are very kind, but then we have some that are very very mean, um, and they needed to know. Were you threatened at all? Yes. Mm-hmm. There was one in particular that I was concerned about my safety. Yes. Really. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, how did your bosses respond?
0: um i think that with that particular one we got hr involved and um just like heightened awareness that if anybody came up to the chronicle um to be uh, on guard but yeah
1: it just astounds me mm-hmm. you know um the it's interesting the the whole um conversation that's being had now it, it's coming back up again mm-hmm. about whether there should be reparations sure. for slavery and it's interesting you say you never felt like you needed an apology, mm-hmm. and yet when it was offered, mm-hmm. it touched something in you that you didn't
0: even know was yeah, there. It touched my soul. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I and I don't know. I, I never ever. Never ever thought that was possible, but it touched me in a way that nothing I've ever experienced has touched me. Yeah. So I'm
1: curious about what the reaction of the white people who were um, instructed by Marianne mm-hmm. to offer this apology. How did they feel? Did you have conversations with them after the fact?
0: No, I didn't. But there was a, a white woman and her daughter sitting behind me who were holding, um, who were touching something. Of, I don't know if it was my jacket or something. And when I felt like I was going to fall to my knees, I felt them lifting me up in the back. Um, I th- yeah, I really did. And then I remember slightly opening my eyes and looking around the room. just to, I wanted to see if everybody was in, in unison saying the words, and they all... They all seemed to be saying exactly what she was saying. So you had a group of, you know, three or 400 people who were all in line with Marianne. And that was pretty amazing.
1: So having been through this Mm -hmm. experience, which is is really uniquely beautiful Mm -hmm. in in my view, what would you say to people watching and listening Mm -hmm. who think that we just need to get over it and move on?
0: We don't. I mean, it, it's obvious we need more conversations um, and we need to get a point where we can talk about that, talk about our, our feelings, our issues and everything. And, you know, these are conversations we've had in our newsroom time and time again. And there are people who who don't want to have this kind of conversation. Well, though, those are usually the people who are not being, who not directly impacted by, um, you know, these hurtful words and, and, and things like that. So, I, I, I think we still need healing, and we, we have not had that. Where do you think we start to heal? Conversation talking about it? I do. I think, we, I think the more we talk about it and, 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 and recognize that you know my perspective is much different than my white counterpart's perspective. And recognize that privilege is something that is ingrained just as much as you know the opposite, whatever feeling that is, right. um, and that m- many white people have a sense of privilege and don't even under- understand that that's what they' they're, they have, right, And right. don't even understand how that impacts somebody of color. Mm-hmm. And I think in order to understand that, you have one, you have to be open, and two, you have to have a conversation. And I don't, I don't, we need more of that. And we need more of that in our newsrooms, too.
1: I was just going to say, um, you, you mentioned that you have these kinds of conversations in the in
0: the Houston Chronicle. No, we room. don't. Not enough. Okay. <laughs> not enough. Good. Good. Not Good. Enough. I'm glad you're not, saying not that. Because,
1: so I was going to ask you, after this, after this personal incident sure. happened, did it lead to any, any further conversation among your colleagues?
0: I, I You know, I think what's interesting is that people will say, Wow, that's a that's I didn't know. You know, that's amazing. But that's all. You know, um, it, I think it was great for the for me, uh, and I think I had a number of people, colleagues in the newsroom, who said that they read it and they were, um, you know, moved by it. But did, did it bring about any change? I'm not so sure.
1: I was going to say, uh, what do you what do you think? What do you wish might have happened as a result of? Sharing that experience and trying to move the conversation in a direction where it probably hadn't been before.
0: I wish we had ha- we could have intimate conversations about issues like this without people getting defensive, because the problem is whenever we talk about diversity in in the media or diverse our coverage, there's a level of defensiveness, and that prohibits any kind of getting you know healing or any kind of really looking at it from a, a broader scope. Is that
1: defensiveness on both sides? Or um,
0: it might be, there a, little be a little bit. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there might be some because I have I've had conversations with my colleagues where I'm like, I'm tired of explaining this. I'm tired. I'm tired of explaining racism. I'm tired of explaining, you know, sometimes I will go to an event and someone will hand me the plate. You know, I'm tired. I mean, things like, you know, I'm tired of, I'm tired of explaining Someone what they
1: hand you the plate. Yeah, I've
0: had that happen a couple of times. Yeah, like you're the waitress. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm the help. Yes. Yeah, I've had, I've had that happen a couple of times. But, you know, I'm tired of explaining that, that this is, is, there are still issues. I'm tired of explaining that when, you know, black men and, and the police and, and, and that this is not just a, you know, um, an ex- exception. This is this is something that is systemic in our society, um, and I think we all need to. My feeling is when I when anyone is slighted, we're all slighted. I'm I'm not I'm not lesbian, but if my lesbian friend, gr- girls out there are slighted and 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 my then we all are impacted. Um, I'm not Hispanic. But if they are having issues, you know, and, and immigration, all these things, we're all impacted. This is a this is this is a human conversation, not just a black-white conversation. And I think people forget that.
1: I could not agree with you more. Yeah. It's the whole reason I started this podcast. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a little while ago that you had taken some time and you'd done some traveling, mm-hmm. and I know one of the one of the trips that you took was to Cuba. Yeah, I'm interested. Uh, Because the headline of your article was Don't Believe What You've Heard or
0: something Um, to that. Oh, God, that got me in trouble, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) OK, so talk to me about about Cuba and what you learned from that experience as it relates to the human experience. Yes.
0: So I went to Cuba with a team of journalists who are all black. Um, and it was uh, to study racism in Cuba. I took a fellowship, and I was there for two weeks, and we basically were there to write about the, the history of racism in Cuba, and people will ask, well, how can Cuba be racist? And, I, and what I learned in the two weeks that I was there is that the darker you are, the harder your plight, and that seems to be a universal theme around this a, world. Around the world. Um, and and so it was interesting to hear their stories in this country. And mind you, everybody in Cuba is beautiful. Everyone is beautiful. And to hear their stories about just um, you know the people who are the dark ones and the people who are the light ones and all, it just... You know you're you're floored, but then you realize this is no different than when I lived in Mexico or when I went to South Africa or when I you know this, it's really no different. So yeah.
1: And so you say you got in trouble for was it for that headline or yeah, for the or I, for I, the, the story I, that you well, wrote?
0: Well, I think there are, are Cubans here in this country who, um, anytime you write about. Cuba in a positive way or, or empowering way, it becomes a political conversation. Oh. And that's not what I was writing about. Okay, I was writing from a black perspective, going into a country that has black roots. And um, that's what I was writing about.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And you say you found the same sort of themes yeah. in Mexico uh-huh. and in South Africa mm-hmm. And that that yes. is that is the human theme. Yes, the darker you are, the harder your plight. And we know that within our African American sure. community, the same thing yes, exists. Exactly, the same thing exists. Exactly. What was Spike Lee's movie? Uh, uh, you know the one I'm talking about. Yes.
0: Uh, 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 Black? No, 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 that wasn't Black. No, that was somebody's going to tell us. We, we, <laughs> I, don't, I can't remember yes. what it is, yes. but anyway, yes, the
1: movie was was Black. all about. Um,
0: uh, the caste what, system. Was within, that black? That wasn't black Klansman, No, no, right, no, 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 no. Oh, back way black, back in oh, the day. Okay. Way, way, way okay. back okay. in the okay. day. Probably <laughs> before you were born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
1: But, but it's, it was one of his classic movies and it's all about the caste system. Yeah. Within the African American race sure. itself. You sure. know, light skinned people or, yes. versus dark skinned people. Do the right people. thing. Was it, I think it I was think do was the, the right thing. thing. I think, okay. Yeah. So anyway, it's just, it's, it's interesting. And, um, you know, we have, so much to talk about mm-hmm. and to and to try and confront yeah. and overcome. Right. And I keep coming back to this whole theme of, you know, when 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 a, a universal challenge happens, mm-hmm. and the one that comes to mind here in Houston, of course, is Harvey most sure. recently sure. when people were literally trying to, you know, stay above water mm-hmm. and many people did lose their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, when someone comes up in a boat and offers to help you, you yeah, you know you don't care what color they no. are, you don't care what their political no. beliefs are, you don't care what their religion right. is it's how can I help you and please help me, sure. Exactly, And so what is it going to take for us to hold on to that beyond the crisis situation? Right. I
0: you don't know? know. I mean, right. I, I wish I had the answer to yeah. that. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, you bring up a great point. We saw the beauty of humanity during Harvey. I mean, true, true, just true love and kindness and people reaching out. Um, but sometimes we just, you know, when it's over, we go back to our lives and forget and get very segregated in in in, in our lifestyles and everything. Um, and I don't I don't know what I wish I wish I had an answer. <laughs> I do. I wish I did. But well, yeah. I think you know the writing that
1: that you're doing. You write from such an authentic place, oh, you. and um, you know you're a fashion and beauty editor, yeah. but you're a journalist, and yeah. so you can tell any story. And right. I love the fact that you approach your storytelling. Mm-hmm. From the perspective of looking at the whole human being, right. not just what they do for a living. Right. So I love the Oscar de la Renta story. Yeah. I can see why that sticks out for you, yes. because you went to the to the human, yes. you know, not the designer. Right. And and that's that's what I think that's what we all need to get right. to is to share those human stories and let people know, you know, where we're coming from exactly. and why why we think what we think. And mm-hmm. maybe if you share something with me, I might think about it a little bit differently. Sure.
0: Yeah. And I think there's so many things that experiences that make us who we are and make our you know our perspective you brought up Mexico and I just want to say one thing Please. when I when I, I I was on another fellowship and mm-hmm. I was there as a journalist to study Spanish mm-hmm. um, and I happened to go to the area where there are black Mexicans and it was on the coast uh, slave ships came on the coast of Mexico and so you have you know a collections of people who are mm-hmm. darker mm-hmm. and I remember walking into the small town um, dusty town that was the poorest I had ever seen in Mexico and the kids were running around, and they were all my complexion and or darker, and they were beautiful kids. And you could hear in the background they were singing oh, "We Shall Overcome" in Spanish. And I, I mean, and I was with another journalist, and we stopped in our tracks, and both of us just just started crying. "We shall overcome" in Spanish. And when we, and we spent uh, several days there, and what we learned is that how how much their plight is being. a of African descent in Mexico and how they are like at the bottom of the ca- uh, bottom of the caste system in Mexico. And just, it, you know, the humanity in, in, in every experience is just, um, it's been incredible. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm so glad you yeah. shared that yeah. story.
1: I mean, I felt the lump, yeah. lump in my throat as soon as you said it. She will, she, yeah. They yeah. It.
0: yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, and when you see these children they're beautiful and and you and you're like how do they know that song? I'm not sure exactly how they knew the song, but they sang we shall overcome in Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a lot to overcome, yes. but I, you know, like like we've been saying it starts
1: with having these conversations sure. and um I, I could talk to you for hours ah, and I know. um I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to to have you share a little bit of of who you are with our audience. Um, If there were one thing that you would want them to take away from this conversation, um, what would it be?
0: Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. Um, You know, I think the point of we are so kind of oftentimes look at our lives through how, what society deems as how we should live our lives. And I remember a friend telling me, a while back, she said, your, your, your journey has never been typical. Why do you think, you know, the decisions that you're making or that, you know, again, I thought I would be married and getting that, that it would be any different? And she said, you're, you're, everybody has a different path. And when she told me that, I thought about it. I said, you know, my path has been different. It's not a traditional path. And I think we have to accept the path that we're on and embrace it and enjoy it because it will you know, it won't last, you know, that's it's your path. Yes. It's, it's yours God. uniquely. Yeah. And yeah. that's
1: what makes you.
0: Right. You. Right. Right. Celebrate, yep.
1: embrace. Yes. Love who you are.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So,
1: Well, I love who you are.
0: <laughs> thank you. I love who you are too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> thank you so much, yeah. Joy. Thank you, really Linda. appreciate your perspective today. And thank all of you for watching and listening and for giving her permission to speak and for thank having you. the courage to really listen to some of what our guest has to offer. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for giving our guest permission to speak and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. If the mission of Our Voices Matter resonates with you, please like, subscribe, download, and share, and then join the conversation because it really is going to take all of us to make a difference.